Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! The Dolphins are losers of five straight, but the Locked On Dolphins podcast remains undefeated, and that trend continues today as I landed a big fish for our guest. We'll get the guest on here shortly, but first I want to tell you guys about the draft series on LockedOnDolphins.com, currently up right now, again on LockedOnDolphins.com, talking about potential April draft picks for the Miami Dolphins. That's the point of the season we are in right now. Dolphins not playing so well, five consecutive losses, four and seven on the season, picking seventh in the NFL draft right now. The league year ended today. It does not. There are still five games to go, but you can check that out for talks about Minka Fitzpatrick, the cornerback from Alabama, up live right now, as well as running back Saquon Barkley from Penn State. And we'll do Bradley Chubb from North Carolina State later on in the week. But first, before we get to any of that stuff, guys, go ahead and please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review for a chance to get your reviews read on the air here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. And the show on Twitter at Locked On Fins. And on today's show, we're going to go ahead and comb over the Dolphins' 53-man roster and decide who stays and who goes. And I'd be remiss to let my guests get out of here without talking about the draft. And he and I will go ahead and talk about the Dolphins' draft status and who they might target in that first round as they continue to climb up the top of the draft. And without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on my guest for today. From BleacherReport.com, part of Bleacher Report's NFL 1000, Ian Wharton. And I've recently just learned that, Ian, you actually moonlight as a roadside auto mechanic as well. <laughs> yeah, I had to save the day as my wife's uh, car battery died tonight. So, you know, I had to put a little man's touch on it and, and make it work <laughs> and be the hero for the evening. <laughs> you got to be careful with that verbiage. But Ian is a fantastic follow on Twitter. You can find him at NFL Film Study, like I said, at BleacherReport.com. Does a lot of great work for those guys. And like I said, you cannot find a better follow on Twitter. So go ahead and check him out. And I was very excited to get, to get you on the show again here tonight, Ian. Thanks for doing this for us again. But I was even more excited when you told me how big of a cap geek you are, because for me, numbers, that's just not my thing whatsoever. It just confuses me <laughs> most of the time. So I want to roll through this roster position by position, and talk about the talent standpoint, but I'd love to get your in, your input on some of the cap ramifications as well. Yeah, sounds good. I'll be using um, overthecap.com as, as a calculator. It's a great resource. Um, also the author of the site uh, did, also wrote a book, and so I definitely recommend uh, checking out his book as well, and so it can kind of help you know give a little bit more of an insight as far as the cap and how that works. But yeah, I definitely do. I'm not an expert on it, but I do really like paying attention to it. I find it find myself on their site very often just kind of checking out and tinkering. Yeah, it's fun to do. It's kind of like Monopoly for football fans and it's because you just have, you know, the, the finite resources that every team has and you can kind of put it all together. It's fun to see how the chips fall. But as far as like rolling over a cap and all that stuff, it just confuses me. So that's why I'm glad to have someone on that, you know, knows a little more than I do. And uh, But let's let's go ahead and get right into this. And, you know, one, one of the things I looked at before I came on with you, Ian, was looking over at the roster turnover from Adam Gaze's first two years, you know, coming into the, his first rookie season in 2016 and then into this season as well in 2017. And I made some notes about it. In 2016, they made five notable free agent or trade acquisitions, whatever you want to call it. Kiko Alonso, Byron Maxwell, Jason Jones, Mario Williams, and Issa Abdul-Kadus. Of course, they keep five rookie draft picks on the active roster and a few undrafted guys here and there and end of camp add-ons, that kind of thing. 2017, pretty much the exact same. 
Lawrence Timmons, Nate Allen, Ted Larson, Anthony Fasano, and TJ McDonald. So there's your five again. But then they go out and get Jay Cutler, obviously, after the Ryan Tannehill injury. And then David Fales kind of is a camp arm that I guess you kind of classify him as such in that regard as well. And then, of course, five more draft picks on the active roster, a couple more uh, undrafted free agents. So we're looking at 10 to 12 new additions if the past tells you anything. And, of course... Adam Gaze's media availability on Monday. He talked about how he likes the group of players he has right now, but this is pretty clearly lip service, if you ask me. But I also don't think the Dolphins are buying the dynamite to blow up the building like a lot of the fans want to. So before we get into the first position, which is going to be quarterback, Ian, I want to ask you two things. And the first one is, do you buy into Adam Gaze as a head coach? And number two, do the Dolphins need to dismantle this thing or just simply retool it? Yeah, I, I am buying into Adam Gaze as a, as a legitimate head coach. You know, I, I definitely think he has his struggles. And even last year when things tended to go smoother, uh, definitely had his, his quarterback of choice. That definitely helped. And I think injury-wise, every team has some rough injuries, but I think losing a guy like Raquan McMillan early this year kind of derailed their defense a little bit quicker than, than maybe it should have um, before the season even started. And I know they had big hopes for him. But I do think that Gase is a legit coach, and I do think that although he struggled, I just think he's really working with a limited group here. Could he maybe be doing a little bit better as far as getting this team off to a fast start, being a little bit more creative schematically uh, week to week, maybe opening things up a little bit quicker before the end of the game, before especially like the fourth quarter? I do. I think those are there, those are spots where he could definitely improve, and I think that the, that the way he is approaching games probably needs the biggest change more than anything. It's two years in a row where this team just struggles dearly to get started in the first half. And uh, I think that's that's probably a, a limitation, not only of talent, but especially when you're looking at Gase and saying, okay, there, there has to be a better way to jumpstart this um, in a quicker manner. So I, I think that he's figuring things out. I, I definitely think that he deserves a lot more patience. Um, last year, I thought it was a fluke all along. Um, and that being said, they won in impressive manners as far as kind of being gritty and, and coming up with clutch plays. And so in a sense, it's not a fluke. I mean, 10 wins is 10 wins, and you get to the playoffs, and that that's a great achievement, but a little bit of a smoke and mirrors, and, and we're seeing that this year with the second-worst um, point differential that ultimately it's it, there is a talent deficiency. And so kind of getting into your second question, you know, the bones are decent on this roster. I think they have the star talent at least in certain spots. They're starting to get some good young players through the pipeline enough to not completely blow it up. Um, a complete blow up, I think you'd be talking about getting rid of those stars um, and just not necessarily doing what the Browns did, but maybe more embracing just taking assets for what you can get all over. And I don't, I don't think that they're quite at that point. I do think that maybe some pieces should be moved, um, but those aren't going to be the stars. Those are going to be like maybe some guys who have disappointed or, maybe some guys who have some value that just aren't going to work out on their current contract. So I would say retool um, with a, with an eye towards it, collecting as many assets as you can and dumping some of these bad deals if possible. Yeah, we talked about that last time you came on the show, all the bad contracts they gave out, and it just seems to continue to pile up from that standpoint, at least with some of the big-time contracts as well, not just the cheap ones like the Nate Allens and the Ted Larsons and that kind of thing. But it's pretty crazy how fast the NFL or the life, life can come at you in the NFL considering that Adam Gaze was a – coach of the year candidate last year and now he's got i swear 80 percent of the fan base on twitter i mean that's not a great representation all the time but they want him gone. they want him gone and the ashes burns or the, the building burned down so it's crazy to see all that stuff and you, you mentioned the second worst point differential in the nfl and the dolphins are actually only have only 
had a had a lead for a fewer amount of time than only the Cleveland Browns in the NFL this year as well. So they're down with that pretty bad company. But I agree with you, the bones are there, like they're good pieces in place. And of course the quarterback coming back will be a big boon for them as well. And let's go ahead and get right into the roster and talk about the quarterback. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I am an <laughs> incessant Ryan Tannehill supporter and kind of like to post a lot of, whether it's film study or statistics or whatever it is that points to him as a positive player and a positive asset for this team. I think that he's, and we talked about this, Ian, privately before the show, I think he's one of the top, you know, 10 to 12 quarterbacks in the NFL when you put together his talent standpoint, his work ethic, kind of the way he's developed into the league so far, and kind of where he came from college as a, you know, only 13 or so starts in the the college game and now where he is. But at quarterback, you obviously have Jay Cutler, David Fells, and Matt Moore, and then Ryan Tannehill. So you're in charge, Ian. What are you doing at quarterback? So I I think Ryan Tannehill will be back for sure. Um, for me, that's not the question. Uh, the question is really how how do you address this position beyond Ryan Tannehill? So they have a couple different options. So looking at next year's cap, they've got about $16 million projected um, for space. They're going to need a lot more space than that just because they're free agents, and, and we'll get into that. But um, Tannehill is one of those deals where we know he's going to be the starter in 2018 if he's healthy. What you can do with his contract um, is restructure his deal in a manner that basically guarantees his contract uh, for 2018. So it gives him the security. It gives him a benefit. Um, you can reduce his cap number significantly by pushing some of that uh, bonus money into 2019, which also gives Tannehill uh, a little bit of an incentive to do it as well as his money becomes guaranteed. And then he's going to get a little bit of money in 2019 guaranteed as well, even if he's cut. So for him financially, there's definitely a major uh, bonus for doing it. For Miami, it's basically saying you're our guy in at least 2018 um, and, and, and at least going to be a consideration for 2019 uh, it's a little bit of a risky move as far as um, because 2019, then if, if kind of depending on where you want to go with that, uh, there's much more of a, a cap hit for his salary. But I think that that's going to be worth it for this team. I think that we've seen Matt Moore is not a viable starter. I think we've seen that he's not going to be a guy in, in the future that you can rely on. We know Jay Cutler Hasn't even worked out this year, let alone for the future. So he's he's totally off the roster moving forward. Um, but I do think that this is a team that needs to probably look towards acquiring another quarterback pretty high in the draft um, this offseason. I, I, whether Tannehill is healthy or not remains to be the question, but he will be the starter if he is healthy. But I, st- I still think that he's going to be 30 years old. I'm a big Tannehill fan as well. I think he's like a top 12 quarterback. But we can't presume that he's going to be 100%. We can't presume that he's going to age as well as some of these other quarterbacks into their mid to late thirties. He's a guy, if he's not hundred percent and doesn't retain his athleticism or as he get into as he gets into his thirties, regardless of the injury, and he drops a little bit with his athleticism, he may drop overall with his effectiveness. And so this is going to be a very interesting test for them. Um, if they have a top 10 pick, this is a good quarterback class. And there's three specifically that I like, and they may like a fourth, um, Anywhere they may like all five. I mean, for Adam Gase, he might think that he can make all those guys work. He might like one or two, but if one of those two, one of those five guys is on the board, he really likes them. Do you go with a guy that maybe who's starting in two years, or do you maybe go with like a premier prospect somewhere else? And so that's going to be a tough question for them. I don't know how to answer that really. I mean, that's that's a tough predicament um, because if they feel like they are closer to winning, then I think you take the other position. If you feel like this is a long-term job and we're not sure about Tannehill's health, 
uh, we feel like we could get cheaper at the position, then maybe you don't restructure Tannehill and you draft that quarterback high. So they have a lot of options as far as the position goes. It's going to really show their confidence level in him uh, by what they choose to do, even just in restructuring him. That's going to show a lot of confidence in, confidence in him. So I would restructure him and feel comfortable with it moving forward. I would consider taking a quarterback in the top 10. Um, if my guy is there, I'm taking him and just saying, hey, you know what, you might sit for two years, but that's okay, and I'm okay with that. Um, and the flip side, maybe you pass on the quarterback in the first round, but still I think on day two you've got to take somebody. You've got to get some new blood in there. Um, if not to challenge, at least to develop like a good backup to eventually replace him. See, and that's where the challenge for me lies, too, because it's such a catch-22. You talk about having that high top-10 pick where you can obviously identify a quarterback that, you know, that's where a lot of these guys go that are premier quarterbacks in the league today, but you can also get yourself a premier talent elsewhere and, and kind of help Tannehill in that way. And you mentioned a, a quarterback on day two, and if the Dolphins are picking as high as I think they will be because they have, you know, a not a terribly rough stretch, but a, some some not-so-winnable games down the stretch here as they continue on their 4-7 and seven mark. If you get that high pick in the first round, obviously you get this high pick in the second round too. So those are two guys that I think you want to be able to start right away. So if you throw a quarterback into that mix, I mean, it kind of signals towards a rebuild. But like you said, though, there's also if it's, you know, if you love Baker Mayfield, for instance, and he's there, I mean, this is a guy that can change your organization. So it's a really, really tough give and take situation. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But let's go ahead and move on to the running backs here, Ian. Talk about Kenyon Drake, Sonoris Perry, and Damian Williams. What was once. I guess revered as kind of a somewhat loaded backfield when you had Jay Ajayi being what he was last year, but now you go back to a, a more mix and mash kind of like a, a running back by committee group, and now you got Sonoris Perry with a head injury last week. Damian Williams dislocates his shoulder, and now you're stuck with Kenyon Drake on, on the roster for this coming week. But moving forward, which of those guys sticks? Which of those guys is gone? I think that the nice part of this group is at least it's an extremely cheap group. Um, they're not devoting a lot of assets to the position, which is pretty nice um, on this roster because they are capped out. They really can't afford to give – um, a veteran contract. So I think you're going to see all through all, at least Drake and, and Williams back next year. Um, they're both affordable enough to do it. They both had the skill sets where you want these types of players on your roster. Um, I don't think either of them is a starting caliber back right now, at least in terms of consistency. So this is going to happen. That, that's kind of like the problem with the Ajayi trade is like he was a cheap contract next year and he was a bona fide starter. Even if there were other issues there, he was cost controlled and you don't have to allocate more assets to replace him. And a late fourth round is going to be very difficult to replace this type of talent, especially in year one. Um, so they're going to have to take somebody. It's a loaded running back draft. That being said, I don't know that they can necessarily use that late fourth round pick to find his replacement, but they are going to have to take somebody. I think you're going to see probably no later than the end of day two uh, to at least get a, a stud running back back there to can hopefully uh, the, handle this starting job, and then you'd use these two at more as rotational players like they should be. I think we're going to have to talk about the draft later on in the season and, and get your ideas on some of that because these are some interesting names you're throwing out and interesting scenarios that could fall to the Dolphins in terms of what they could do. And yeah, the JHI trade kind of sucks in terms of what you get back. A, a late fourth is no good. The Eagles being a 10 and 1 team, probably not going to go much higher than the back end of that round. So tough spot there. Let's move on to the receivers. Obviously, you have Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Leonte Carew, Jakeem Grant, and then Rashawn Scott also on the active roster. So this is a tricky one for me because you obviously have the big Landry contract coming up and Devontae Parker hasn't shown what you'd hoped he would. Kenny Stills is on a long-term contract and then you have three guys that have done absolutely nothing in the NFL. So what are you doing with this group of receivers, Ian? Yeah, so Stills is locked in for sure. I mean, I, I'm a big Kenny Stills fan. I think he's fantastic. I think he's 
really been underrated by a lot of people, but he's not even movable with his contract till at least 2019. Um, so even if you wanted to do something with him, he's, he's locked in for sure, which I think is a good thing. And I think his contract's a nice deal. Uh, the question then becomes Jarvis Landry and Devonte Parker. Uh, so the reason why you would restructure Ryan Tannehill is to open up money for uh, Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is probably going to be looking for 13 to $15 million per year. Um, that was his price entering the season. Doesn't really, I don't think it matters what he's done during the season. I just think that was his price and that's what he wants. If they can get him for less than that, that would be a really good job of negotiating and him taking probably a discount from what he wanted. I don't know that he's going to get that on the open market. I would guess that he probably doesn't get that in real money on the open market, but you never know. There's a ton of money available outside of Miami. Um, so I, I, oof, this is, it is really tough with Landry. Quite frankly, I don't envy the position that they're <laughs> in when it comes to him. I would, I'll go with the easy one first. I would trade Devonte Parker. Um, it will save them, uh, basically $2 million on the cap. You're basically just giving up on Parker, which I'm willing to do. I was never that high on Parker. I had him as a day two pick. Um, I liked him as like a potential developmental player, but taking him in the first really was them committing to him as an athlete. And I just, he's a good athlete, but really that's it. I didn't see what I wanted to see out of him as a prospect. So I've been kind of low on him compared to most um, in his career. And I think there's just a lot there health wise and personality wise that I think are issues and it doesn't kind of work with Adam Gase. I, he may become successful one day. He may become successful the rest of the season or even next season. I would just rather probably get that day two pick if you can get one for him and try again on another uh, player, almost like the Ajayi deal, except for um, you're not actually trading a premier player. You're actually trading a guy who has that premier upside, but he hasn't quite shown that he can do that yet. As for Landry, it's, you know, it's 50-50 if – if you could get him on the low end of that deal, um, I understand it. I probably would franchise him and let him ride it out, and and that be that. Or I would just let him walk. I I just don't think I could commit forty eight million dollars guaranteed to him. That's too much money, I think, for his skill set. He's a really good player, and he's a really good leader. I just think he's very limited as well. Um, he's great at what he does well. It's just that that skill set does not merit that type of money. Um, and I know that it's beyond football too with him, but this team is in cap hell. And giving out huge contracts to guys like him is part of the reason why. Um, that's a but you know that's a tough that's a tough one. If they give him the contract, I'm not going to really blame them. But just moving forward, folks have to understand that's going to be an albatross considering his production. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel about it too. It's such a tough spot for them to be in because you have a player that means so much to them from, like you said, more than a football standpoint. But he wants that such big contract, and you you just have to. I don't know how he can't see for himself. Maybe it's just like that arrogance and that confidence you have to have to play this level. But how you can watch like Antonio Brown or Julio Jones or you know throughout any elite receiver you want, how he can watch them and compare himself really. There's so much limited you know athleticism on the outside there's not the big deep ball speed all that good stuff that you get from these elite receivers and if he wants that big money I, you know I, I can't justify giving it to me like you said so that's a tough yeah, spot and he, he also has some really bad penalties and drops in big moments and yeah. i know that every guy has drops and every guy has penalties but his especially tend to span, stand out to me um just as back-breaking plays sometimes it's just like you got to kind of be like a Larry Fitzgerald type when you're that type of archetype at receiver 
where like you're not costing your team hardly ever. Like you've got to be rock solid. Yeah, exactly. It's there's no room for error on him, and his he just been made, he's made a ton over the last couple of years, unfortunately. Yeah, they are they are some backbreaking penalties when it comes to personal fouls and celebration stuff. And you know, it's funny you talk about Adam Gaze's personality and how Jarvis Landry and him are kind of married in that sense. Then you have Devontae Parker, who's this kind of you know soft, soft spoken guy that doesn't really you know have that intensity level, not that big chip on his shoulder. You talked about trade Devontae Parker. I think getting if you get a second or third round pick from him, I would do that. I would pull the trigger on that as well. There's some guys that I love that kind of fit that same prototype as him. When you have know, like an Alan Lazard from Iowa State or a Simi Cobbs from Indiana, some of those bigger body guys that can do the same job, maybe higher level than he did so so before we get into the tight ends offensive line as well as the defense this is a locked on dolphins podcast your host travis wingfield at wingfield nfl at locked on fins and of course my guest ian warden at nfl film study okay we just finished up the receivers let's go ahead and get into the tight ends here ian talk a little bit about anthony fasano marquise gray and julius thomas a group that you would think is pretty well rounded from a from a skill set standpoint but a group that has underwhelmed in 2017 yeah, it's not really a group that's worked out. I mean, kind of predictably, uh, Julius Thomas hasn't really been the player that it almost seems like they expected him to be. I don't I don't really know what they thought um, trading for him and, and assuming that huge contract. He was probably going to get cut um, in Jacksonville, but Miami was fine taking on that $6.5 million that's owed to him <laughs> on his contract. And really, that that's kind of backbreaking when you talk about rolling that money over um, if they could have gotten him on like a minimum type deal or a really cheap two year two two million dollar per year deal, uh, that would have been impressive and that would have been more worth what they're paying him. But right now, uh, he enters next year. I think he's an easy cut. They've been forcing him the ball and and he he's made a couple big plays. Um, but we're now through twelve weeks and like the fact that he only has a couple big plays for his salary, uh, just simply shouldn't be the case. I mean, I think Marquise Gray could honestly be doing his job just fine, if not better. Yeah. Uh, from what we saw out of Gray in 2016. So I think Thomas is definitely should be a lock to be gone, open up $6.5 million for the Dolphins next year. Um, the other guys at the position, like I said, I think Gray is fine. Uh, he only He's only costing you a million dollars next year, so he's not a problem. I like his versatility. He can play as a blocker. He can be like a move tight end. He's not necessarily a traditional guy, but he's a good athlete who can get into space. I think as a third tight end, that's perfectly fine. Um and if, if you look at uh, Anthony Fasano, when they get him involved, he's a nice player. He's only on a one-year deal. I wouldn't mind him back on a similar contract than he had this year, even if he is a little limited. But this is another position almost like running back where it's like you have two guys who probably aren't uh, starters, although I think a tight end you can probably get away with more project players, role players like Gray and Fasano, and you can actually try to manufacture their touches through play-action passes and rolling Tannehill out next year. Um, And Tannehill loves his tight ends, so it would be great to get a high-end tight end. They might have the chance in the draft. This is a good tight end draft class from what I've seen, Um, although rookie tight ends are usually not amazing. They might have the opportunity to get a a pretty solid contributor right away, Uh, maybe on like the day two or early day three. Maybe they can find somebody. But I wouldn't look at this as a position that they need to invest heavily in. Yeah, those those t- uh, layered reads where Tannehill rolls out on like a naked boot and finds a tight end, those seem to work quite a bit for them last year. And you talked a little bit about, you know, Julius Thomas being a complete flop. And I kind of, you know, you kind of sense that coming from what he was in Jacksonville. And then, you know, Marquise Gray, like you said, kind of a roster filler. But, you know, you talk about Adam Gaze in the system and that three-by-one set that he loves to run where he has the Y-ISO on the, on the backside of the formation. And that's often a tight end. 
end. And it makes me wonder why he's relied on Jordan Cameron and Julius Thomas in those spots because it seems like a position that could really feast in this offense, and they've had two subpar players at this position there in the last two years. Yeah, and Cameron was a, really a disappointment. I mean, he used to be that type of player, and he just ultimately physically just kind of broke down and was a, was a major disappointment. Thomas just isn't that player. Like, Thomas hasn't been that player since Denver. I don't really know why they continue to give him chances like that. He just It's not who he's been in years. Um, at least Cameron, you could say that that deterioration kind of happened um, as he was on the Dolphins roster, and so we kind of saw that happen quickly. But they might be able to get a guy like Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma, uh, maybe even Jimmy Graham on a deal, uh, depending on what he's looking for after he leaves Seattle. That would probably be more of an efficient usage of that cap allocation. And even if the, you say that they want to put in a, a major investment into the tight end position, I'd be fine with that, especially with the potential moves that I m- mentioned. If you're moving Parker and maybe franchising Landry, then you do need to probably put some assets into that tight end position to get more of a stud, to give Tannehill some legitimate options. So that would be a way to kind of reallocate that money uh, in a different sense and those uh, those resources and still give Tannehill a legitimate passing game. Absolutely. You, you've done a good enough job of depressing me in terms of putting the Dolphins in pretty dire straits in terms of what they can do with this roster moving forward. But let's go ahead and move forward to the biggest, I guess, the most most maligned aspect of the Dolphins team. And of course, the offensive line. And some of these guys here that might be kind of easy cuts or guys to move on from. Let's just go ahead and break it down real quickly on the names. This is just what I have here on the Wikipedia roster page. Isaac Asiata, Jake Brendel, Jermon Bushrod, Jesse Davis, Ted Larson, Mike Pouncey, Zach Stirrup, I didn't know he was on the roster, Laramie Tunsil, and Sam Young. So that's what you have right now. Jermon Bushrod, the right guard, has had a really, really rough go, switching from tackle to guard late in his career. He gets hurt, and I think he might miss possibly the rest of the season. I'm not sure where he's at with that injury. And then obviously you have Ted Larson comes in at left guard. He's been pretty bad in his short outing. And then Mike Pouncey's been a, a rough go this year as well. So where are the Dolphins going to go on this group that everybody wants to draft Quentin Nelson because he's a top-rated guard? Where, what are they going to do here? I mean, I, I don't think they're going to draft a guard that high because that's just not what Adam Gaze does. But where can they get better at on the offensive line? Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be tough because they've allocated so many resources. And the thing is, it's like with five starters – and with all the injuries that they've had, sometimes it just doesn't work. And even though they've invested, what I think is like three first-round picks in the position, it just hasn't worked for multiple guys. Juwan James hasn't been that guy. Mike Pouncey, due to injuries, hasn't been that guy. So, I mean, yes, they put in the draft picks into the position, but that doesn't mean that the draft pick means that they're, they're good players. They, they missed on Juwan James, unfortunately. Um, and part of that, I think, is due to injuries. Mike Pouncey, his big contract has been a major miss. Mm-hmm. Again, probably due to uh, injuries more than anything, not necessarily a misevaluation of talent. That's just how the game works somehow. So honestly, what I would do here, and I think this is really where they can open up a ton of cap space, I would move on from Juwan James. He's marked on the books for $9.3 million next year in the fifth year of his contract. Uh, they could do an easier thing, which is actually extend him, lower that cap number. They could probably extend him for like six million dollars per year uh, which is about average right tackle starting money Um, they could maybe get away with that Um, maybe he gets a little bit more than that but it being injured here down the stretch probably won't help that cause the thing with that is is I don't know that I'm going to pay six seven million dollars per year for an average right tackle I feel like you can just draft that Um, now it's you're getting limited here with picks because we've already talked about (laughs) maybe drafting a running back drafting a wide receiver uh, maybe taking a quarterback 
And so that's where that challenge comes in is like you're going to have to pick somewhere. I think running back you could probably put off a little bit. You're probably going to have to prioritize tackle um, and maybe even interior um, offensive linemen. I'm fine with drafting guards high personally, although the Dolphins don't seem too keen on that. They may have to change their tune as well because going cheap at the guard position just simply hasn't worked. Uh, but again, that's partly a, that that is more of a talent evaluation issue. Like they didn't seem keen on re-signing Jermon Bushrod until they realized that they couldn't and they didn't want to spend on the higher end players. Then they end up giving him a raise despite basically saying that they didn't want him back. So yeah, and, and that, that was a little. That, sorry to cut you off. That that market dried up so quickly with you know Larry Warford went for a big money and you had the Kevin Zeitler went for a big money and TJ Lang. Th- those contracts were just so big. I just I think the Dolphins removed themselves from that conversation right when those contracts started flying out there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, they didn't. I don't think they expected the money to be that big um, for those positions, especially for like Ronald Leary. I think that was a guy that they were really interested in, and then they they made the call, and then they were like, "Oh, <laughs> oh we can't, we can't, we can't do that." Um, so they're they're stuck reeling a little bit. And for me, I would move on from James. I just I think that even with what they have right now on the roster, it's not good enough. But I would rather be spending a million dollars on on a average type of tackle or even below average type of tackle and then nine million dollars on a guy who hasn't been healthy who even when he does play isn't good enough so I think that they can they there are things that you can do schematically to help out a bad tackle and especially if you're not going to spend big on it and you maybe allocate those resources both free agent money and draft assets to to kind of fill that hole I would also look on to move, look to move on from Mike Pouncey. I just think on the field he's just not what he was, and it's kind of similar to James, where it's like what they have as a replacement option isn't great, but for nine million dollars next year, you're getting an average center, maybe even below average, and he may not be able to play the entire season. That's extremely difficult. You can open up seven million dollars by by releasing him, and now you've got needs literally at four offensive line spots. So, I mean, this is a little bit of a, of a rebuild, but the problem is, is like, would you rather be spending six, $16 million on James and Pouncey, or would you rather just say, look, we realize this is a problem. We feel like we can address it. Now, here's the positive. We've removed those two players. You're now at $52 million in cap space. Yeah. You can now address those issues in free agency, um, whether it be center, tackle, or one of the two guard spots. You can fill at least two of those holes in free agency realistically and potentially still add a tight end, a high-end tight end, um, to help replace uh, Julius Thomas. So there's a, a path to actually rebuilding this roster, and you don't need to go necessarily high-end to replace them. You don't need to spend top-of-the-market money like Brandon Albert was. You've already got a left tackle in Laramie Tunsil who I think has really shown a lot of improvement throughout this season. I know people were down on him early, but I think he's looking a lot better and over the last couple of months has really shown growth and, and, and has been able to win on an island more often than not. And so I think he's going to be just fine at left tackle, if not much, much, much better, which we all expected. I think he's going to potentially still become that player, and that's the really good news. I think even at left guard, Jesse Davis has been fine. Um, I don't know that he's going to be the guy you know long term but I think he's probably the one I'm most comfortable with entering next year as the second lineman um, especially next to Tunsil like that that is key for him being able to run block next to Tunsil we see a lot of these running plays there's huge holes 
it, when there are huge holes, it's usually to the left. And it's mm-hmm. because of those two being able to make it work. So if they can continue to, to develop Davis, you can have two offensive linemen on rookie deals or at least cheap veteran deals uh, in Davis's case. And that's a huge advantage. And so Asiata is going to come back. To be honest, I'm not counting on him. I, I didn't think he was a great scheme fit. I think that's what you're seeing now with him not even be able to be activated on Sundays. It's because he's not really a great scheme fit for Miami. Uh, maybe he ends up being a quality backup. And that's, I think that's the right expectation for him being a late day three pick. It's not to become a starter. It's to become depth and someone who can maybe step in eventually. So there's needs across the offensive line with this. Centers are generally not extremely highly uh, valuable assets and Pouncey has a has a highly paid contract so it's it's one of those situations where I think that maybe even early day three if you wanted to wait that long you can find a decent starter at center that late in the draft it's always been a position that is historically not valued um, by the NFL and even journeyman centers they are available usually for for three to six million dollars per year so it's not like it's a backbreaking contract to fill that role from Pouncey it would just be a little bit painful because he, we know what he was once, yeah. and when he got this contract, he was a much better player. But the reality is that $16 million at this point for the Dolphins to pay two guys who just aren't what they are physically and have no realistic possible, possible chance to get back to that level, is it would be reckless to continue to keep paying them at that rate. Yeah, I think the Pouncey is the obvious one, like you mentioned. Just that contract and his lack of an or his inability to get out in the space like he used to, and, and just be able to handle those bigger nose tackles. That's a real problem for the Dolphins, and it has been for a couple of years now, especially with the injury problems. You mentioned Juwan James. I thought he's played better this year, but like you said, that's this is two season-ending injuries in four years for him, so that's kind of a big pause for me. And then you mentioned Jesse Davis. I've been kind of on his train a lot, a lot the last few weeks. He's his versatility impresses me. You know, he played left guard and played decent over there, like you mentioned. Goes over to right tackle, plays okay over there and he plays right guard on Sunday against the Patriots so he I think at worst he's your sixth man and then hopefully he gets a starting spot so it's good to know that they can I, I like what your idea is in, in terms of kind of turning those assets or I guess those those uh allocating those assets to different positions across the roster and improving other spots and then going cheap on the offensive line and a couple of guys I like on the offensive line in the draft Billy Price from Ohio State and Arkansas's Frank Frank Ragno easy for me to say, but I think they have a couple of options that can go in the draft and look that way and, and go cheap and, and young and more athletic. And like you said, all that good stuff. So let's move on to the defensive line here real quick, Ian, before we take a next, our next break, uh, Andre Branch, Terrence Fade, Devon Godshaw, Charles Harris, William Hayes, Jordan Phillips, and Dominic Sue, Vincent Taylor, and Cam Wake. Now you go down that list and there's a lot of star power and a lot of names that really jump out of you with its high draft picks. You know, guys that have had a lot of success in the league, a future Hall of Famer in Dominican Sue, possibly Cam Wake, Charles Harris, the first-round pick, and then Godshaw has played pretty well for a rookie as a fifth-round draft pick this year. This is a tough spot for me, too, because this is a group that hasn't gotten the production that you'd hope for, at least that they had early in the year, the first five or six weeks of the season. You have a big contract in Andre Branch, who, for me, hasn't played very well at all the last couple of years. I mean, he had a good start to the last year, but he really tailed off, and then this year it's been bad. And then where you, where do you go from there on the other spots? Because you have an aging Cameron Wake, you have Indomitian Sue, and I think I'm really curious here to take on Indomitian Sue because as, a great, as great of a player as he is, he eats up so much cap space, and it really limits what you can do elsewhere. So where do you go on the defensive line with Sue, Wake, and Branch, and all these guys? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like you mentioned, because of the, and some of the, this is due to like the freshness of the deals, I think they really just stand put. And I think that they kind of just hold on what they have. You hope on some development from Gachow and, and Taylor, and you hope that maybe Branch can bounce back. You can't do anything with Branch's money. Um, releasing him would not save you anything except for $100,000. Uh, so there's no reason to cut him. Um, Sue, 
Sue is in a, in a weird spot. I mean, he's never going to be worth that contract that he signed. He's a great player. They have two options. They can either not restructure the remaining deal money that they can restructure on his deal. So they already restructured part of that money, um, which currently leaves him basically a Dolphin through at least 2019. So that's he's going to be a Dolphin through 2019. And they love him, by the way. I mean, I know that there was talk that they were thinking about getting rid of him. That would be absolutely stunning. The, the team loves him. Um, and for good reason. He's been great for the Dolphins, not only on the field, but I think in the locker room as well. I think he's been a very good presence for the team. Um, if you restructure him, you open up $11 million. But the trade-off on that is that you're basically guaranteeing his contract completely uh, through 2020. So do they want to make that much of a commitment to him? He becomes almost impossible to cut until at least 2020. Um, at least 2019, it would be a conversation where you could move on from him. I don't know. He's going to be an older player at that point. Um, if we're going to be projecting three years out, he would be 33 going on 34. So it's a lot of money that you would be uh, committing at this point to that age of a player. Um, 2020, his cap hit would be $27 million. So it's that's a long-term outlook that you have to consider with restructures. Um, do you want to push that cap penalty that far, or can you make it work with the money that we've already opened up? I would probably leave him be as is. I want that flexibility in 2019 to be able to say, hey, if you get injured, we need a way out because his body could break down, especially with the way they play him so many snaps, um, especially if they want to change defensive fronts at some point. I think you just want that versatility. So this is a position for me. If anything, I would extend Cameron Wake. Um, I think that you could probably extend him another year, maybe open up a little bit more cap room. I, and I, I don't think it would be even a risky move. For him, we just we know what Wake is. Uh, but I, I think you're pretty much stuck with this group, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, Harris has the second most uh, hurries on this roster. I think those are going to convert to sacks next year more often than not. It's pretty typical for a young pass rusher for that to happen. Branch, I'm with you. I thought that was a terrible deal. I'm not a fan of his. It is what it is. You have to sit on that contract another year. Um and I would bring back Terrence Fiday. I would love to see Terrence Fiday get more snaps. He's been impressive every time he plays. He can defend the run well. He's strong on the edge. He's a great athlete, and sometimes he can make those flash plays as a pass rusher. I think he'd be great to bring back, but he could probably go elsewhere and get a bigger role too. So they may be uh, a little bit stuck on that end, and he's also a great special teamer. So if they can get Fiday back, it's going to continue to be a strength of this team. It hasn't been a dominant group, especially with Stacks. Um, but it, there's enough young talent to believe that they're going to take the next step and that you don't need to really overhaul the position. Yeah, it, you talk about Charles Harris converting those hurries to sacks. And is a good comparison for that Vic Beasley because I didn't really know follow his rookie season very well, but I know that he had the breakout sophomore campaign and had something like, what, 17 sacks. So is that yeah. like a good comparison for you? Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Um, the thing with Beasley is like he – he had a bunch of hurries his first year and then had a bunch of sacks his second year. He didn't have a bunch of hurries and sacks his second year. He just ended up converting those hurries into sacks. It's not like he was really took like that huge of a step into like Khalil Mack territory. Um, 
But there's still precedent there, though. I mean, basically, every pass rusher, if you can get to, like, four or five sacks this year, that's actually really good as a rookie. Um, so, like, the bar shouldn't be too high as a pass rusher, especially as someone who's rotating in and not playing a ton of snaps uh, for that unit. The bar shouldn't be that high statistically for him this year. The key is going to be his growth into his second and third years because that's really where he should blossom. But I think we've seen enough that from him to say, like, he's going to probably be a pretty good pass rusher, if nothing else. Yeah, it's just crazy to see all the all the people jumping off the train after, you know, 11 games into his career for a guy that was, you know, projected as more of a maybe kind of a developmental piece over there on the edge, kind of learning how to develop more than just one move, that spin move that he has. So I'm encouraged by him. I think he's going to be a good player as well. I think the Dolphins need to probably address that position with the draft, at least at some point here in the next couple of years, like you said, with can't wait getting up in there and age and all that stuff but um yeah let's go ahead and move on to the back seven here we're on the locked on dolphins podcast your host travis wingfield at wingfield nfl you can follow the show at locked on fans we're with ian warden of bleach report he does the bleach report nfl 1000 you can follow him at nfl film study and we are talking about the Dolphins' 53-man roster. Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? What can the Dolphins do to improve this team in 2018? We are moving on to the linebackers here with Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report at NFL Film Study on Twitter. You can follow him there. Ian, let's get into these linebackers and talk about Chase Allen, Kiko Alonso, Stephon Anthony, Neville Hewitt, who is back from off of the injured uh, reserve list, Mike Hole, and Lawrence Timmons. So this group, you know, on paper, it looks a lot better than what the Dolphins have had in the past, whether, you know, you go back to George, uh, Jelani Jenkins, and Dana LRB and Philip Wheeler, all these guys they've had that have struggled. Now you have a list of guys that, you know, the names look good. Stephon Anthony was a high draft pick. Uh, Lawrence Timmons, obviously Mr. Ironman for Pittsburgh. Kiko Alonso had the decorated early part of his career with Buffalo Bills, but it's a group that it just seems to continue to struggle in the same areas. And I don't know if it's coaching or if it's personnel or whatever it is, just educating the linebacker group, which of these guys has long-term staying in power and, also, is Stephon Anthony going to be a guy that figures into this mix? Because the Dolphins gave up a pick that essentially is only going to be, what, 20 draft picks lower than what the Eagles gave up to get Jay Ajayi. So that kind of tells you where they value this guy. Is he ever going to get on the field and make an impact? Yeah, that was an insane trade. I mean, a fifth-round pick isn't that much at the end of the day. Like, it's a, it's a basically a gamble pick, and most of the time those aren't going to work out. But, like, he's a guy that hasn't proven anything in his career except for he really struggles with the playbook. And so I don't know why they gave up a guy who was not earning playing time in the last year and a half for a Saints defense. That's one of the worst defenses in the league, or that was at that point. Now, obviously, it's transformed into a good unit. Um, but this was a guy that, like, he couldn't, he, like I said, couldn't get on the field for two years when they desperately need a linebacker help. He's a physical freak. And so I, I did, I liked the trade to get him. I just didn't like the trade for a fifth round pick. I mean, this is this is a classic where you trade like a seventh round. Uh, compensatory pick you trade like a seventh round swap of picks uh, just to save them from cutting him and to save them a little bit of money on their end of things so I don't think he's a guy that you can really count on for anything more than just a backup he only counts as a million and a half dollars against the cap next year um, which you can cut him and just open up but that's basically a, a veteran minimum type of contract so I'm fine with keeping him. I think he's a good strong side linebacker or weak side linebacker, a potential project, but really he's just a project. I wouldn't count on him to be anything more than your sixth linebacker uh, moving forward. We know Kiko Alonso will be on the roster. You can't move his contract. He's played pretty poorly. Um, I didn't like the contract that they gave him to begin with, but this year he's been exploited repeatedly in man coverage which the holes were there last year. It's just teams are now attacking it more, and he's not forcing turnovers. And with if he's not forcing turnovers, 
athletically he's just not what he used to be. He can he can accelerate downhill pretty well, but anytime he starts moving laterally or dropping back into space, you can just see he's a pretty limited player, unfortunately, due to all the injuries and the atrophy. Um, Lawrence Timmons, I think he's been fine. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because of the suspension possibly opens up the ability to cut him. Uh, I don't know that they want to cut him. He has a cap number of $8.2 million next year, which is a lot of money. Um, but he's been their best linebacker this year. And he's been, I think, solid overall. Like, you can definitely point to some plays where it's like, that's not a great play. Or, like, you can see that he's aged a little bit and that he's not going to get better because of his age. Like, he's going to continue to probably decline a little bit. Um, unless if he falls off a cliff, though, the last couple weeks of the season – I don't see why they would cut him unless if they fail to do some of the other moves that we've talked about. Maybe if they keep Juwan James or if they keep Mike Pouncey, maybe they want to say, okay, we we desperately could use that cap space. I would understand that, but then you're kind of getting back to the point where it's like, can you fill that spot without using a high draft pick? Because you're already needing to use that high draft pick in other places for the other holes on the roster. So do they want to open up a new hole? by cutting him or do they want to just keep the patchwork for another year and hope that Raquan McMillan is going to be that much of a difference. I would hold tight at the position. I would keep Timmons for one more year. I think McMillan's going to be a fantastic starter. Um, obviously health wise, we don't know, um, but he's going to have a full year to recover. And I think that's really going to help him. So with this group, I'm, I'm holding tight, but I, I would add some competition, especially to the backup group. I would draft a linebacker. I'd probably sign some more undrafted linebackers. Um, keep throwing assets at the position, even if they're not high ones, and something's going to work out. McMillan is going to be, I think, a good one. As I mentioned, Timmons has been fine. Alonzo's a problem, but maybe he returns the form a little bit next year and can create some more turnovers. And then after 2019, you can get rid of him if, if he's still not. So it's or after 2018, you can get rid of him. So there's an out to that contract, at least. Timmons is only one more year. If they really don't want to get rid of him, they have an option to get rid of him. So they've it, they've got some flexibility. I don't think it's been an atrocious lineup. I just think that they need to probably ask less of that group, considering it's not an athletic group whatsoever. Currently, McMillan will help there a little bit, but he, it's not like he's Shaq Thomas either. So He's not going to be a guy that's just all over the place and, and an amazing coverage player. He's he's going to be more like a run stopper um, who can cover a little bit, but not necessarily be a dominant coverage player. So it's I think they would they should probably reduce the snap count a little bit next year for Timmons and and Alonzo and use a little bit more dime package and personnel and get more DBs on the field. You got that right before I was going to get in on talking about the dime package. Dolphins run that less than just about anybody in the NFL, I believe. And they, they really just run with these linebackers and, and a lot of man zone coverages. And like you said, they get beat a lot. It's, it's, it's a problem for this team. You know, Alonzo had a couple of big plays last year. Obviously, the pick six against the Chargers was like was really a difference between playoffs and not. So that's a big-time play for him. He had a big strip in the Arizona game as well. So he gets these big, you know, splash plays. But then you see him against the Panthers when he has to break down and make a tackle against Christian McCaffrey, which I understand is a tough task to, to ask somebody. But to get taken out of your shoes the way he did, that was pretty rough to see. But I'm, I'm with you. I think this group could uh, could improve next year with McMillan coming back. I like him a lot as a player too. Let's move on to your specialty, Ian. Talk about these defensive backs the Dolphins have and, and kind of where you specialize. Ian has a – it's a comprehensive handbook on cornerback 
cornerback play across the NFL. He charts every single player on the on the edge out there playing cornerback and does a fantastic job with that stuff. So you can find his work at NFL Film Study on Twitter. And like I said, Bleacher Report 1000 again. He does great stuff with the cornerbacks. And let's talk about these cornerbacks with Miami Dolphins as well as the defense or the safeties, I should say. And the cornerbacks, obviously, Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain in the slot. Torrey McTire is a backup, and then Cordray Tankersley on the other edge with Alteron Werner being a depth guy as well. At safety, you have Walt Akins, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, and Murray Smith, as well as Michael Thomas, who's kind of a floater between the two positions. So, you know, this year, Xavier Howard hasn't quite worked out the way they hoped he would. Cordray Tankersley gets on the field earlier than I think they had hoped, or earlier than they had planned him getting on the field with Byron Maxwell getting cut, and then Tony Lippett getting hurt in the offseason. So, where does this group go from here? Is it a position they have to address high in the draft or free agency? Is it a position you stand still at like you do with the linebackers? What do they do in the secondary? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because, like I said, we, we're, we're kind of committing to the offense as far as rebuilding the offense, um, committing a lot of the resources to the offense. And so that leaves the secondary into question and more so the cornerback group. The, the safeties are set. Um, Rashad Jones will be your, your starter and TJ McDonald will be your starters next year. Um, for sure, just money wise, they they can't get off those deals um, next year. So, and and you wouldn't really want to. I mean, Jones has been fine. Uh, he hasn't. I don't know that he's really lived up to that contract yet. But a year off of an injury, it's pretty understandable that like maybe he's not a hundred percent yet, uh, and he needs like a full off season to kind of reach his potential again. T.J. McDonald. He's kind of shown some rust. I don't think he has great chemistry with Jones yet. It's not time to panic on him. I thought that extension was a little early, but I still think he's a solid player and he's going to get to where he needs to be. So I'm not worried about the safety position, but we need to look at the cornerback position. Like you mentioned, how do you address this? I think Tangersley's been pretty good. Um, he really fits with what they want to do, mixing in zone and, and man coverage. I think he's a little bit better in man coverage than he is in zone. I think he's not quite comfortable yet in zone. Um, to really blanket guys and break on the ball like he needs to. Um, but those are, for that to be a rookie critique, like that's pretty good. Like I wish that was the critique for Xavier Howard because Howard's been a disaster this year. He just, <laughs> he's so grabby and he just, he panics at any point um, where he starts to fall behind on a receiver or if he doesn't recognize the route quickly, he's going to panic, he's going to grab and he gets behind or he's going to get too aggressive and just, try to break up the pass before the receiver's hands even go up. So that's an issue. He's going to be back on the roster next year, and that's that's fine, but I think there needs to be some competition added to him. Alteron Werner, unfortunately, has not been that competition this year. He's been actually, I think, a, a pretty big disappointment. I thought he'd be a little bit better for them. I, I thought they'd actually use him more in the slot and use more dime packages. I thought that would probably be the ideal usage for Werner, but they've been using him outside, and whenever he comes in, it seems like he's drawing a penalty. Um, and maybe the part of that's not allowing him to get into a rhythm either. So it's been problematic usage, I think, a little bit. Um, they're very aggressive with Howard, having him press quite often, um, which is good. that He's good at pressing. It's just when he falls behind, it's, it's a disaster. So I, I think they need to add a real competition there. Maybe you try to add a guy coming off of an injury, um, or maybe a guy coming off a bit of a down season. Um, you saw guys like Brandon Carr and Mo Claiborne go for like five to eight million dollars per year last year. I think if you can get a veteran within like that five million dollars per year, maybe like a return of Vontae Davis would be a very interesting potential pickup. Um, maybe trying to see if there's going to be another vet via trade, although. If it's going to be trade, you're going to have to kind of limit with what your return is. Um, 
you know, they looked into Richard Sherman last year. Coming off an Achilles injury, maybe that becomes a little bit more possible. He earns a lot of money, though, so there's a conflict with that. But I think you're probably going to hear a lot about Richard Sherman being on the trade block, block this summer, um, in the spring and summer. So I think Dolphins will probably be at least asking about that. Uh, Malcolm Butler from the Patriots, too, might be a guy, if he's willing to take a one-year deal, I think would make a lot of sense. So you're not looking at guys who are going to be shut down corners for the most part, or you're going to be taking a risk um, to see if they can get back to their form. And at least that adds some depth without blowing out the budget for that type of player. But I don't think you can enter 2018 with Xavier Howard penciled in as a starter. I think he needs competition, and he needs to be able to win that job. And if he wins the job, fantastic. Hopefully that means he's improved. Um, but you definitely can't hand it to him at this point. The big question, I think, is with Bobby McCain as well. Now, we've opened up a lot of money, and we're going to allocate a good mo- amount of that money um, to other places. So we're probably down to probably back down to around $10 million. If everything works out right, we're considering the draft uh, with what you have to spend in the draft. If we've signed a couple free agents, we've ret- if we've retained uh, Jarvis Landry especially, we're down to probably some low money here. McCain, I think, has been the most improved player from last year, just in terms of defense, uh, on the defense. He might be the most improved player. I don't think he's been great, but he's played a lot better, I think, over the last month. And if he's going to continue to trend that way, then you're probably saying, okay, he's actually trending the right way, which you want at the position, which is three to four years, usually three to four years at corner. You're going to see a little bit of a jump if you're going to see one. And he's shown that. So I think you want to keep that type of talent in the house. Um, Slot corner is a tough position to find a good player. And I think that if he can continue, then he's going to qualify as a good slot corner. Um, if he drops back down to a little bit more closer to average, then you could probably say, well, it's easier to find an average slot corner because most slot corners aren't anything special. And I, I think that that was him for his first couple of years. But this year, it, I do think, especially over the last month, we've seen it with the interceptions. It's not just the interceptions, though. It's just comfort on the field, comfort coming downhill and seeing what and, and understanding what he sees and reading plays. He's so much better at that than what he was even this time last year. And, and he's just doing it more consistently that you could say, like, this is probably legitimate. I don't think he's going to break the bank either way. You're probably looking at, like, a three-year or four-year deal worth, like, 12 or $16 million. That, to me, is a, a pretty fair deal. It keeps a guy in the house. You're rewarding a guy who's actually improved. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy, if you can retain him for that type of money, um, then I'm probably in favor of it. Whereas if you asked me that two months ago, I would have said no. So that's good. That's You're seeing isolated performance improving, and I think that that's going to be with him and Tankersley. You could really build around those two young players on reasonable contracts and a rookie contract for Tankersley, which would allow you to kind of spend on maybe like a, a slightly bigger guy. And I mentioned two of them, but there's going to be other options as well. It's, it's a really deep corner free agency class. I just don't have the full list up right now. I'm really glad to hear you say that about Bobby McCain because for whatever reason, he's been one of my favorite players on the team for the last couple of years. I think it has more to do with his personality and kind of the way he embraces the, you know, chip on the shoulder type of player and just kind of a, he's a fun guy in the locker room, at least from what I've heard. And you mentioned the improvement. He looks like he's playing more instinctively rather than just kind of seeing things and reacting to them after they happen. And you see that with some of the kind of tackles at the line of scrimmage or tackles in the backfield and, and making some plays in the running game as well. So I'm, I'm excited to see him kind of make that improvement, make that jump. It's nice to see the Dolphins actually kind of develop a player for once 
rather than go on somewhere else and become a player there. So we'll talk about some options on the, some options on the secondary, more so in the next segment, talking about the draft here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast with Ian Wharton, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL, at Lockdown Fins, and of course, Ian Wharton's at NFL Film Study. All right, our final segment here is going to be talking about the draft and where the Dolphins might pick in the first round this year. It's going to be possibly a top 10 pick. Ian and I were talking about it off the air as the Dolphins possibly being, I guess, at most a six-win team from this point. And uh, up right now on LockdownDolphins.com is part two of the April Blue Chip series where I examine potential top draft picks for the Miami Dolphins as I continue to climb up that draft board. And the guy up right now is Minka Fitzpatrick, an all-everything defensive back for Alabama. I have talked at length about Saquon Barker's fit in the Miami offense. I think Fitzpatrick is a great fit just about anywhere he goes. But for me, Ian, he fits the prototype Miami looks for in cornerback because they want someone that's tall and lengthy. He is six foot one. He is a willing tackler, and he's scheme-diverse. He's played some slot cornerback. He's played some safety. He's played some perimeter cornerback. But I'm going to go ahead and defer to the expert on defensive back play and Ian Wharton, my guest here. He is publishing a comprehensive defensive back handbook that will be out this spring, Ian. Yes, um, looking at right after the season, hopefully, but it'll probably be closer to March. Awesome. So look forward to that. Find that on Twitter at NFL Film Study. But Ian, my question, or I guess thoughts in general, what are your thoughts on Mika Fitzpatrick and what the Dolphins should do with this high first round draft pick they're probably going to have coming up next April? Yeah, I, mean, I, I love the potential options that they're going to have here. Um, just kind of looking at Fitzpatrick specifically, I think he's a guy that I'm going to view similarly to Jalen Ramsey. I don't know that he's going to be that type of high-end cornerback right away the way that Ramsey has been, um, just because Ramsey's blend of athleticism and, and how he's quickly taken to that position um, has been fantastic and it's been very unique. Um, but I do think Fitzpatrick can be the, of that mold, and that's going to be worth it, in my opinion, uh, for a top five, top ten pick in this draft class um, because it's not a terribly terrific draft class um, to begin with. So I don't think that you're necessarily going to get that Jalen Ramsey, um, you know, at five or six or whatever this year. You know, you might have to settle for, like, a very solid corner instead of, like, a true superstar at the position, but that's okay because um, that's what this class dictates. So I would try him at corner first because he does have the length. He has the experience playing the position. And if he doesn't work out there, then I think that you move him to safety second just because corner is a more valuable position. Then um, you would play him, if you're going to play him at safety, he'd be like a Mika Hyde, TJ McDonald type of player where he's going to be like a slot safety. Yeah. Um, he can play in coverage. He can play in the box. Um, he's not going to be like a true free safety like – um, like Malik Hooker, like we talked about last year, but he's still going to have that versatility. And so that's going to be very valuable uh, if he is the pick. Yeah, I think so too. And you, you mentioned the ability to play safety a little bit too. And the Dolphins maybe hopefully gearing towards a little bit more dime packages, at least if, at least if this is the personnel they have at linebacker moving forward. So some flexibility there. Any interest in Bradley Chubb, Saquon Barkley, anyone else you can throw out there for me? Yeah, I've, I've, I'd be interested in Bradley Chubb, even though we talked about pass rushers. Um, if he's the best player on the board, I would certainly not complain. Um, I've got a lot of interest in Quentin Nelson. I do think he'd be worth it for the Dolphins. Um, if Connor Williams comes out for, from Texas, the tackle, I would be interested in possibly moving him to right tackle, although I've got some better round two options that, that might be more realistic. Um, and I think I would also be looking at if they trade down uh, and I don't know that that'll be the best option, but it may be the best option depending on how the board falls. Mark Andrews, the tight end from Oklahoma, could be an interesting option as well. 
Again, Ian, I want to give you a massive, massive thank you for coming on the show today, man. You can find Ian's work on Twitter at NFL Film Study. You can find him on Bleacher Reports, NFL 1000. Ian's honestly, sincerely, one of my favorite Twitter follows and analysts to read. Thank you so much again for coming on, man. Oh, it's my pleasure, man, and I, I love coming on. And that, once again, was Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report giving us and really myself a, a new perspective on some things and t- talking about how you can allocate some of those resources in terms of salary cap, free agency, and the draft. But that's going to do it for today's show, guys. Be sure to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL and check out LockedOnDolphins.com right now. Blue Chip Series, Minka Fitzpatrick, Alabama cornerback up right now. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.